0: Our our reading today comes from Mark chapter 1, uh, and we're going to read verse 1 to 13, and that can be found on page 836 of the Church Bibles. So we're going to read verse 1 to verse 13. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins." "'and was baptized by John in the Jordan. "'And when he came up out of the water, "'immediately he saw the heavens being torn open "'and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. "'And a voice came from heaven, "'You are my beloved Son. "'With you I am well pleased.' "'The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. "'And he was in the wilderness 40 days, "'being tempted by Satan. "'And he was with the wild animals.' And the angels were ministering to him. Well, if you'd like to keep that passage open in front of you, and we're going to look at that together. And as we do, let's pray and ask for God's help. Our Father, we thank you for this time to spend in your word. And we pray that as we do, your spirit would minister to us and that you would uh, reveal uh, more of who you are uh, and what you've done and what it means to, to trust in you. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I wonder if you can think for a moment. In a typical day, how many questions do you find yourself answering? There's another one to add to the list. I recently read that small children ask around 300 questions a day. Uh, that's a lot of questions. Uh, uh, although, if my experience is anything to go by, can I have something to eat? Uh, makes up a fairly high proportion of those uh, questions. Not that we don't feed our kids, it's just that they like to eat. Uh, some questions uh, we answer are of fairly little consequence. Uh, would you like fries with that? In the moment, it doesn't involve a life changing decision. Uh, but there are other questions. Questions that will change the course of our lives depending on how we answer them. Do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Uh, You could say that my answer to that question nearly 19 years ago had fairly life changing consequences. Uh, Good ones, of course. but when it comes to answering questions, there is no more important answer that we could give to the quest than the one that lies at the heart of the question of Mark's gospel. It's an answer that will set the course of our lives, not just for the next 50 years or so, but for eternity. And it's the question, who is Jesus? I wonder how would you answer that? The claim that Mark makes at the very beginning of his gospel in chapter 1, verse 1, it's an extraordinary one. He writes that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, Christ, it wasn't Jesus' surname. The, the Christ or the Messiah was the promised one from the Old Testament that the Jews had been waiting for. Uh, We've just finished a series in the life of Abraham in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, where God promised Abraham that he would fulfill his purposes through a promised one, one of Abraham's descendants. It was a promise that actually went all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible uh, to the Garden of Eden, a promise that was made to Adam and Eve after they sinned against God, a promise that one day uh, a Savior would come and would deal with the brokenness that had been caused by their sin. As that promise unfolds throughout the Old Testament, we discover that this promised one would be a king the Messiah, or Christ, who would come to save his people. And here, after centuries of silence, Mark declares that Jesus is the Christ, that he is that long-awaited, promised king. But he goes even further than that. He makes an earth-shattering claim that Jesus is also the Son of God. The extraordinary claim at the heart of Mark's gospel and at the heart of the Christian faith is that Jesus is God on earth, that God has revealed himself to us in the person of his Son, that as we read the pages of Mark, we learn about the one who made the universe and who made us. We learn who he is, and we learn how we can know him. Those are extraordinary claims. Claims that, if they're true, have massive implications for every person on this planet. If Jesus is God, then that means that he is not some take-it-or-leave-it option among many. No, what he said and how we respond to him, it really matters. If Jesus is God, then there is no other figure in the history of the human race that we should be more concerned about making sure we have understood correctly. And that's what studying a gospel like Mark gives us the opportunity to do, to read and to understand for ourselves what Jesus said, what Jesus did, and who Jesus claimed to be. And Mark is a great place to start because, well, it's short. It only takes about an hour to read from beginning to end. Uh, I'd encourage you to do that, this afternoon even. It's fast-paced. You get, you get the sense as you read it that Mark is in a hurry, the phrase, and immediately, it appears on numerous occasions in his gospel. Mark moves through things at pace. He gets right to the point. And over the next uh, six weeks in the run-up to Easter, we're going to look at a selection of passages in Mark's gospel that cover some of the main events of Jesus' life, events that ought to help us answer the question, who is Jesus. Now, for many of us, we we may have already answered that question, and so this series will hopefully be an opportunity to reaffirm our confidence in the truth of the gospel, that Jesus really is who he said he is. You know, sometimes if we feel like we're in the minority, where we uh, maybe believe something that those around us might dismiss, uh, that can shake our confidence. Can I really be sure? that Jesus said and did what Mark tells us in his gospel? Does it stand up to scrutiny? Well, if we're asking those questions, which I think we all probably do at some point or another, then a great place to begin is at the beginning of Mark's gospel. See, before we ask the question, who is Jesus? We should actually be asking the question, who is Mark? How can we be sure that what we have in front of us is a reliable source of information. So what do we know about Mark? Well, Mark's name appears a few times in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, he's at the center of a dispute between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, that, that leads to these two early Christian leaders going their separate ways after Paul expresses his lack of confidence in Mark. Read in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed. So that's not exactly a glowing reference, is it? Uh, But that's not all we read about Mark. Years later, In his second letter to Timothy, Paul asks Timothy in chapter 4 verse 11 to get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. So whatever failures Mark had been guilty of in his younger years, clearly years later, Paul thought a great deal of him as a Christian leader. He's someone who had matured, someone who had learned from his mistakes, someone who was equipped to write an accurate account of Jesus' life. But more significantly was his close association with one of the original 12 disciples, Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we discover that Mark was so closely associated with Peter that Peter referred to him as his son. In chapter 5, verse 13 of First Peter, we read, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Now, Babylon was a way of describing Rome, and so what we learn there is that Mark was with Peter in Rome towards the end of Peter's life. And it's believed that while it, 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 it was while he spent time with Peter that he essentially acted as Peter's scribe to give this account of Jesus' life that we have here. Peter was one of the original 12 disciples. He's mentioned numerous times in Mark's gospel. He, uh, he was a first-hand eyewitness of everything that Jesus said and did. And when you read through Mark, it very much reads like an eyewitness account, and it gives insights into Peter's own personality, things that only Peter could have expressed to Mark. The early church leader, Irenaeus, pointed out that the shape of Mark's gospel, it very much follows the type of gospel presentation that Peter himself gave. So if you were to compare the structure of Mark with uh, Peter's sermon to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, for example, you would see striking similarities in the structure of both. Uh, Peter's sermon in Acts 10 begins with the baptism by John and the anointing of Jesus with the Spirit, which we have in Mark chapter 1. It then goes on to follow the pattern of Jesus' ministry in Galilee, and Jerusalem, just as Mark does in his gospel. And then the events that take place in Jerusalem around Jesus' death and resurrection, again following the shape of Mark. So what we have in Mark's gospel is an account of Jesus' life that was passed on directly by someone who was there every step of the way. And it's full of Of references to people and places, uh, which would have allowed Mark's first readers to verify what was written. They could have gone to the places and tracked down the people mentioned to check that these things really happened. And if they hadn't, well, then Mark's Gospel would never have made it out of the first century with any credibility everything that we know about Mark and everything that we know about his gospel tells us that what we have before us is a reliable historical account of Jesus' life. It's an account we can have confidence in. It's an account that allows us to consider Jesus' identity and his message. But what was his message? Well, we're introduced to it here at the beginning of Mark's gospel. Before Jesus appears on the scene, we read about a messenger who came before him, John the Baptist. Mark begins by quoting some Old Testament prophecies about this messenger in verse 2. We read there, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So uh, the purpose of this promised messenger was to prepare the way for the promised king by declaring a message that the people needed to hear of why Jesus had come. The description of John's dress in in verse 6 was a, a throwback to the prophets of the Old Testament, particularly Elijah. And by giving us this description, Mark is pointing to the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy in Malachi that promised a day when a messenger would come and, like Elijah, would prepare the way for the Lord. And Mark draws attention to the key theme of that message in verse four. We read that John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So, John's message declared why Jesus had come. He came to offer forgiveness of sins for those who repented. Now, to repent is to change direction. So, John was calling his listeners to turn away from their sin, and to turn to God for forgiveness. And this is where the message of the gospel begins. The gospel message is not that we are generally good people who can add Jesus on to make our lives a bit better. No, the gospel message is that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. This is so, so important for us to grasp. Jesus is not a lifestyle guru, there to add what's missing in our lives. He is a Savior who came to deal with our greatest need, and that is forgiveness from our sins and reconciliation to the God who made us to know Him and to love Him for eternity. To grasp the wonder of His salvation, we we need to appreciate the seriousness of our predicament before we know him. Uh, I recently heard a version of uh, the great hymn Amazing Grace where the words were changed to make them more palatable to Western ears. Uh, Instead of the actual line, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, the word wretch was replaced with soul and it completely lost the wonder of God's grace. What is it that makes God's grace so amazing? Well, it's that he would save wretches, that he would save wretched sinners, that in his love he would enter into our world and go to his death, not because we somehow did something to deserve it, but because we were hopeless and helpless in our sin. The message of the gospel, it begins with a recognition of our need for a Savior who can forgive. And the wonder of the gospel is that there is no sinner so wretched, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, that they cannot know that forgiveness if they repent and trust in the one who came to save. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. In verse 9, we read, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, have you ever wondered, why was Jesus baptized? After all, Jesus was sinless. He didn't need this baptism of repentance. But by being baptized, Jesus publicly declared that he had come to bear the sins of others. To take the place of sinful people. Even though he was innocent, he came to bear the penalty for the guilty, to stand condemned in their place. In his baptism, Jesus was declaring that he came to save. And at the moment that he arose from the water, we read verse 10, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. As Jesus came up out of the water, Mark tells us of the divine approval of Jesus' ministry as God the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And God the Father uttered the words, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And if our study of Abraham is fresh in your mind, well perhaps you can hear the echoes of Abraham's love for his son Isaac in Genesis chapter 22 at the moment that Abraham went to sacrifice his beloved son, God stayed his hand and provided a ram as a substitute. And that day, all those centuries ago, it pointed forward to the day when God's own beloved son would come to offer himself as a sacrifice for sinful people where God the Father would declare his love for his Son at his baptism. Jesus' baptism was a visible demonstration of what he had come to do. And then immediately he got to work. If you look with me at verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. Now, some of you may have uh, celebrated Shrove Tuesday last week, uh, and uh, perhaps you have kicked into forty days of Lent. Maybe you've decided to deny yourself chocolate or or Netflix or some other luxury for the next forty days. Well, the origins of Lent are are, are from the forty days that Jesus spent in the wilderness. But these were 40 days of severe trial and temptation, 40 days of being surrounded by wild animals. It's a bit random, that. Why does Mark mention the wild animals? Seems a bit strange. Well, there was a time when human beings and animals lived in complete harmony. What we have here in verse 13 are echoes of Eden. Back when Adam and Eve lived in perfect communion with God and creation. But here's the thing, in Eden, despite being in harmony with the animals of God's creation, Adam succumbed to the temptations of the devil. As a result of his sin, there was a breakdown in creation where humans and animals no longer lived at peace. But as Jesus was surrounded by wild animals, not in a garden, but in the wilderness, he resisted every temptation that the devil threw at him. We're meant to see that he was already beginning to reverse the effects of the fall caused by Adam's sin. In the garden, Adam failed. In the wilderness, Jesus succeeded. And it's because he succeeded that we can have hope that our brokenness, our sin, the wildernesses that we find ourselves in, they don't need to be the end of the story. Because at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he went to the desert. He endured temptation. He succeeded where we failed, so that anyone who repents and trusts in him could know forgiveness and eternal life. This is who Jesus is, the promised one who entered our world to do what we couldn't do by ourselves, the one who endured suffering in our place, the one who came to save anyone who repents and trusts in him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus, your beloved Son. We thank you that he was willing to come, that he was willing to stand in our place, that he was willing to be tempted in the wilderness and succeed where Adam failed so that anyone who trusts in him can know that our failures our sins our wrongdoings our, our regrets our, our shame can be can be brought uh, and, and forgiven by him because of what he has done on the cross and so we pray that as we study this gospel as we take time to consider who Jesus is and what he's done you would give us a renewed confidence or perhaps a, for the first time, you would help us see clearly who Jesus is, that we might trust him with everything and know the forgiveness that only he can give. And as we come to this table now to take bread and wine, we praise you and thank you for the visible reminder that we have of the sacrifice that has paid for our sins, that we might know what it is to be blameless in your sight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.